welcome to episode number 10 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, Ham Radio, recorded January 17th, 2019. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services. I witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help get people prepared and to better look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm co-host of the show. I live on Vancouver Island on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, target shooter, reloader, and my farm is designated handyman. My professional background has allowed me to explore every province and territory in Canada. It has also taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and that learning never ends. Uh, I'm Alan. My friends and family called me a savior. It is a well-justified title. My background is medical first responder. Helped me develop a mind for safety. I've spent a lot. Of, I've spent approximately 17 years seeing people at their worst and helping them get back to their best. I teach first aid and coach my friends and family to be better prepared. For me, being prepared started when it, when I was in scouts, got separated from my troop, and spent a night out all on my own in the woods. So we've got some great content for you this episode. Uh, we uh, going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. I'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. And we'll get into our main topic for uh, this episode being ham radio. We'll touch on some basics of operation, licensing, and its role in preparedness. All right, I guess we'll start off with some news articles here. Uh, interesting, left us as a small anecdote here. I started off with... Uh, Local news in uh, Qualicum Beach there, uh, one of the local towns on the Vancouver Island I was in there, uh, they had actually a nationwide Interac outage uh, for most of the afternoon there. And a little tat tip hardware for improvising on the fly here, they actually broke out the old click-clack visa uh, processing so uh, machine. I haven't seen one of those for about 20 years, but they were actually able to uh, do a backup system with their visa cards, and mm -hmm. they were still able to do inventory and everything else with the old style visas. That was pretty cool, actually. So backup very small. Or a way to steal your card. <laughs> oh, one of the two. Potato, potato. Um, hmm. So first news article I did want to talk about, though, for sure, is uh, the yellow vests uh, in France once again. So they, um, a couple tidbits there. They uh, started to do a coordinated bank run on the banks. I uh, did uh, put the link in the show notes. Uh, interesting enough, uh, one of their plans to disrupt and cause heartache for the government was to do a coordinated bank run, meaning like they'd all withdraw as much money as they could. Um, have you guys ever tried to take out more than like, you know, a couple hundred bucks at a time from the bank? Once or twice. Didn't go well. Yeah, they, they usually tend to ask you what it's for, why you need it, bring out the manager, try and prevent you from doing it because they only have so much cash on hand. And of course, that also with the uh, leveraged banking systems we have in place, um, yeah, for every dollar you take out, there's 10 less they can play with. So, I mean, uh, fractional reserve banking is a, is a mofo when they try and take it out uh, all at once. So that was actually a pretty uh, clever, coordinated effort on their part, for sure. My problem was just I didn't have the money in the account to begin with. Well, what if you have? No doubt they would be resistant to that, for sure. <laughs> just taking out what you don't have. But, uh, no, I thought it was actually a pretty clever, uh, you know, legal way for them to protest, for sure, and get the, the government's attention. Uh, uh, of course, the government's response to that was deploying 80,000 troops in, into the into France in general, mostly concentrated in Paris. So I put a link to that one as well as the fact that they put 80,000 troops into, into um the streets to combat the yellow vests and basically started uh, packing live ammunition around uh, which is actually a bit of an escalation for sure yeah that's uh it's a little scary 
Yeah. Uh, third one I just want to bring up. Uh, Brits are prepping for Brexit. So this is not exactly a pro or anti-Brexit thing, but basically a couple people are concerned with the lack of supplies with a potential Brexit, meaning like uh, everything from staple foods to currency exchanges to everything else. So there's actually a really good article in the Star of all places uh, that uh, basically covers off how the Brits are actually like really concerned about Brexit when it actually takes effect that they're going to be uh, short on food and uh, power. Well, they've had no they've had no need for real trade packs for a long time and now that's all of a sudden coming to an end yeah for sure is somebody you want to bring up as well Alan? uh yeah i found a couple of articles actually relating to our topic tonight um little town in uh, um near the uh near the bc uh washington border uh little town city i guess uh, and now without cell service for 30 days after a uh, after a storm blew through on december 20th um, as of earlier this week, they're still completely without a cell phone service. And I don't know about you guys, I don't have a landline anymore. If I didn't have my cell phone uh, out here in the middle of nowhere, I'd be completely isolated. Yeah, we don't have a landline either. We uh, decided to do without for sure. Well, the odd one out here as well, still got the landline. Won't get rid of it. Uh, in Kansas, uh, where they've actually declared a state of emergency over the lack of cell phone coverage. Even the emergency services, their uh, fire and police don't have... Uh, reliable communications because of a lack of cell phone service. I can wow. imagine the, the teenage angst as well would be huge. <laughs> Absolutely, it would be. Anyways, what did we yeah. ever do without cell phones? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there was a time, but I don't know. There must have been a time. All right, we went outside and played. Yeah. Or actually phoned people. Like yeah, clear. Or, or talked to people face to face. That used to be a thing. Yes, indeed. Or, or party lines, we could go way back and talk about those Ooh. two. But... Oh, yeah. Now we're going back. Yep. Yeah. Uh, short. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, we were supposed to have one other guest on board today, but he's uh, just running late tonight. So I guess we go straight to what we've done lately for uh, you, Eric. Yeah. So we'll uh, move into that. Uh, for myself, I've been uh, ridiculously busy at work, so I haven't had a chance to do a whole heck of a lot. Uh, one thing that I was able to do was uh, get the basement cleaned up uh, with the wife there. So we were uh, able to get that organized. So now I can at least find my preps. Uh, I know where they are and I can see them. So that's what I've, uh, what I've done since the last show. So I was better be looking at it than looking for it. You got it. Uh, I've worked on, I worked on documenting my, documenting my plans. Um, my big focus recently has been on risk analysis. Um, what can we expect and how do I respond to it? Uh, my family spread out uh, three cities over two counties, so it's a bit of a challenge trying to, you know, what what happens, how do I get everybody in one spot if things really do go badly. Uh, right now, we only have cell phones to communicate, so if that happens, and I remember when we, uh, when we had that big blackout in 2003, uh, cell phone went down for a day, almost two days. Um, had the same problem after uh, after 9-11 in New York. The cell phone towers were all jammed. They couldn't, nobody could communicate with anybody for days. Uh, my ultimate goal is to have a playbook that everyone in the family has in their bag, purse, car, wherever, so that when situation A happens, response B is the, is the, is the spot, and then we all end up in the same place, hopefully about the same time, and everybody gets safe. Well, that seems uh, pretty pretty squared away for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's good in theory. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put it into practice. Yep. 
So you uh, mentioned something about Morse code there as well? Yeah. Um, in doing my research for the show tonight, um, learned about uh, learning a little bit about Morse code. Um, my grandpa was a ham operator. Uh, there are pictures of me sitting at his at his uh, equipment when I was a when I was a youngster. Uh, could not could not use Morse code now practically if I if I had to. Uh, but he did find a couple of uh, couple of links uh, that are in the show notes uh, that would get everybody. You know, it's, uh, it's a basic of how to how to understand Morse, and then of course, uh, as I've been as I've been reading and trying to practice it, it's it's a lot of practice and a lot of time, and you become proficient at it. So a couple of links in the show notes about that. Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, when I started my current job, I one of the first things we had to do before we showed up to work was learn Morse code. And uh, so it was one of those freaking out things where if you don't learn Morse code, you can't pass the initial course and everything else. So I went out of our way, our way to find some online stuff, found a, a course called New Morse. And uh, so there's free software and everything else. And I went online and I spent about, must have been about four or five weeks trying to get that stuff down. I showed up with my, my Morse code firmly under my belt and they walked in and said, congratulations, you guys are the first class at Morse is no longer required for. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I was like, oh, swell. That's, that's great. Oh, good skill to have. Yeah. So, of course, I probably forgot it because we never used it again. So, that's uh, it's one of those things where you just, it's like in, out, gone. Perishable skills for sure. Yeah, fair enough. So, for myself, uh, as far as what I did for preps this, uh, this last week here, honestly, I've been continuing my big stretch of work here. So, very limited time at home. So, uh, my wife focused, uh, told me I should probably focus on maintaining my community of like-minded people. So, uh, I didn't have really much time to do a whole lot of preparedness projects. So, um, anyways, I went out and met with a couple uh, guys I know in the local area. One of them I'll refer to him as the gun god. He, uh, he repairs, fixes, owns, sells, buys guns. That's just what he does now. And um, I sent in some heirlooms to him for repair and uh, made a purchase as well because he's like my kryptonite. I show up there and he, he just weakens me and then that's it. Before you know what, I've walked out with a deal. Um, also, I've been up with the, the local prepper god here. He uh, He's basically, yeah, like I said, uh, prepper royalty i mean he's got everything from uh, water systems solar systems set up he's uh, a very knowledgeable man so i learned by osmosis just walking around following asking questions i got to know him a little better uh, we just met in the last year so it's been a learning process as well so i learned some t- tips and tricks for dealing with propane as well because he's got a uh, fairly extensive propane uh, knowledge as well uh, i ran some ideas by him with you and he immediately gave me some good uh, good ways to do it better cheaper faster uh, with and that always helps and then uh still away for another week of work but once they uh get back from that i've ordered some parts it should be at home by the time i am there and then uh i'll have some uh i'll call it summer vacation this is when my, my main vacation happens i'll be uh home for about a month so i'll be able to get a bunch of projects out of the way awesome very cool i guess it's time to move into the main topic of the show being ham radio we'll touch on its uses and what you'll need to get started getting licensed and frequency capabilities. So first topic is the uh, the role of preparedness. So ham radio can play multiple roles in, in regards to preparedness. You do all kinds of different things. You can monitor local emergency services. You can uh, monitor ham chats on local repeaters. Uh, you can monitor the uh, weather repeaters as well. Uh, you can communicate with other local preppers and survival groups. And uh, you can keep in contact uh, with uh, security patrols, uh, gain knowledge, uh, inside knowledge of how emergency services respond to disasters by uh, getting involved in your local ham radio group as well. Uh, for some of the things here, monitoring local emergency services, depending on where, where it is you're located, if those emergency services aren't transmitting encrypted, 
and you've got a radio and you know how to program it and you know all the uh, the different codes you got to put in, you're, you're able to pick them up and, and listen to what's happening, which uh, can be a wealth of information for you. Uh, ham chat, uh, if you're not familiar with any ham radio repeaters in your area, uh, try to find some and just hop on the repeaters and you can listen to the guys talk and there's all kinds of conversations happening all the time. Uh, the weather repeaters as well, if, uh, if you're not familiar with those, they are a system across North America uh, that uh, repeats local weather information. So it's, uh, it's similar to turning the weather network on uh, on your television, only it's over the, the radio and it's regionalized to your area. You find the, uh, the repeater in your area, program your radio to it, and you've got localized weather information and as well emergency information broadcast on there if, uh, if something's happening that's a major thing. They, uh, they use those radio stations to, to broadcast that information. So there's uh, there's some good info on there and uh, some good things to be listening to. Actually, it's uh, interesting enough, like the, we should just re- um, explain what a repeater actually means as well for the people just starting out. Fair uh, enough. So, yeah, so basically a repeater, uh, as a general rule, simplified quite a bit, uh, can be a, basically an antenna on top of a hill. So a repeater, what, we'll do, what it will do is if you transmit to the repeater, it'll bounce, repeat your signal off the top of the hill to get range out of it so yep. people further away on the other side of the hill or even like just further down down the, the land can actually hear your signal a little bit further than if it's just line of sight which is what normally most frequencies that we'd be using would be just strictly line of sight if you can't see a person you can't transmit to them so uh, repeaters are good for that for sure um yeah you mentioned the weather radio that's good as well um uh, the gold standard of uh, the prepper radios is the UV5R model. It's made by a company called Baofeng. And uh, one of the interesting aspects they have is they also allow us to listen to FM radio just for regular radio stations. So if you don't have a battery-powered radio, it's another use for them as well. You got it, yeah. And the uh, the reason why I think they're they're quite popular in the, uh, the preparedness uh, world is is the fact that the, the pricing on them, they're, they're pretty cheap to purchase. And, you know, you're not, you're not shelling out a, an arm and a leg to, to purchase one. Uh, as far as programming them and, and getting them figured out, that that takes some time, but they are very well documented on uh, on YouTube and the internet. So you can uh, you can watch some videos that show you how to program them, how to set them up. Uh, you're of course going to want to know what you're doing and, and be licensed if you're hopping on the ham frequencies. Uh, you don't want to be screwing anything up or transmitting where you shouldn't be. Uh, so you got to be careful if you are if you do have one. You gotta you gotta know how to use it. And how do we learn how to use it? Uh-huh, good question. So licensing. There's all kinds of different uh, methods to this. It really depends on how you learn and and, and how you, you take in information. Uh, you can contact a, your local ham radio club. If you don't know if one exists, just Google it. There's, there's clubs all over across Canada uh, that operate and actually put courses on in person. So if you're the type of person that learns by sitting and interacting with other people and, and learning from an instructor, that's a great way to do it. Uh, they're usually pretty cheap as well. The clubs aren't looking to make money on the courses. They're just looking to recoup their cost. Um, so usually the ones I've seen around here, maybe a hundred bucks and uh, they run usually either like a Tuesday night at seven or 8 PM and they run for a period of about two months. Uh, so they just dedicate one day to it uh, in the evening. It's a couple hours and it's uh, it's led by an instructor who is qualified and knowledgeable and they know, uh, they know how to teach. Uh, they usually follow a specific book uh, that you can, uh, purchase and then follow along with the course as well. Uh, if you're not able to do that sort of thing, you're not able to either commit the time or you're just not a, a classroom type learner, you can actually just purchase a book. Uh, I've got one here for those that are watching. It's right here. This is the one I use to learn. Uh, it's called the uh, Canadian Amateur Radio Basic Qualification Study Guide and it's by Coax Publications. 
Uh, it was, I think it was about 50 or 60 bucks for the book. It gives you access to all kinds of online testing as well. And it covers off everything you need for the exam. Uh, it's uh, Some of it is good uh, bedtime reading if you're looking to pass out. Uh, a lot of it's pretty interesting though. So I'm not, uh, not going to pull wool over anybody's <laughs> eyes here. It's uh, some of it's pretty dry. Uh, but that's another option too. It's just if you want to grab a book, you can grab a book and, uh, and read about it. Well, the interesting thing is too, it's not exactly a, a hard exam to pass and the fact that you, they actually publish all the questions on the Industry Canada website that's in the show notes. And so uh, they'll actually not only give you questions from that exact, exact question bank, so you know what questions are coming at you. They give you practice exams on that website, um, basic info on how to get licensed. And then there's also, of course, a plethora of YouTube courses that are like entire ham radio study courses on, on YouTube. Um, there's software such as one's called Ham Puzzle, and the other one's called, pardon the pun, but X Hammoner. And uh, yeah, there's no, no shortage of ways to learn the, the ham radio uh, licensing stuff for sure. And I'll, uh, I'll put in the show notes too a link. Um, there is a, a ham radio club at, uh, out by Sault Ste. Marie, if I remember correctly. They actually put their entire ham radio qualification course online. So they put it on over that series of, of evenings, but they recorded the whole thing and then put it on the YouTube so if you're not able to actually attend courses, you can watch their videos. Uh, that's what I did. I found it quite useful. You've got an instructor who's uh, teaching the course, and you're just watching the video afterwards. So it's not as interactive, but if you're the kind of person that needs to listen and just hear everything, and then you can remember it from there, it's, an, it's a great course to, to take, and, and you can just put it on and listen to them uh, explaining everything. So it's a, it's a good option as well. So I'll throw that in the show notes before I publish them so everybody can uh, have a look at that as well. Fantastic. And then the, uh, like Ian was saying, the, uh, the exam generator is great. It is the actual questions you're going to get. It's not, uh, it's not just somebody coming up with, well, I think this might be it. It is at the actual question bank from the, uh, the issuing authority for the ham radio license. Uh, that is actually where, uh, when you are ready, I should touch on that too. When you are ready to write the exam, your, uh, your examiner is actually going to go to that same website and there's a button that you can click that says practice exam and there's a button that says generate the actual exam. And then if it's generate the actual exam, they need to have login credentials and, and such, but it's pulling from that exact same question uh, database uh, and then away you go. And it's a, it's a handwritten test. Uh, so you again, you'll have to find an, an examiner in your area. There is a list of them published uh, on the... Uh, on the website there, the same area that you would go for the uh, exam generator. And then you can find somebody who is licensed to give the exam. Uh, you can write the exam. If you if you fail it, it happens. You can rewrite the next day. You can rewrite right after. There is no cool down period as far as having to wait. Uh, unless they've changed that since I went through, you're able to just rewrite right away. It's just a matter of whether or not that specific tester wants to uh, redo it right away with you or, or wait a little bit. Chances are they're going to suggest you wait a day or two and go study up a little bit more. But uh, running with that uh, exam generator gives you an idea of where you're lacking in knowledge. And then you can go and follow up and, and study some more and then uh, keep hammering away at that exam generator. That's, uh, that's what I did for studying to get mine is I'd read a section in the book. I go to the exam generator, generate the questions. I do a bunch of them. I go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm lacking in this area. Go back to the book. Watch some of the videos from that uh, ham radio club that's got it on YouTube. Go back and redo again and i found after i did that for about three three four months and then afterwards i was good to write the exam and and i made it through with uh with the honors qualification that gives you access to the hf frequencies so well, uh, definitely the way to to go and there's, there's all kinds of options for you if you're, you're looking to get qualified it's just a matter of how you learn and what works best for you 
I, I did something myself, and one of the one of the first things that kind of I picked up on um, was that it's illegal potentially. I don't know. Maybe I misread that. It's illegal to transmit ciphered message or a, or, a, or a hidden message over the air. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So transmitting any kind of encrypted message uh, over ham radio frequencies is not allowed. Um, that is, it's definitely a, a no-no in, in the ham radio world. Uh, so you, you have to transmit in, in plain language. Uh, it has to be able to be understood by other parties on the ham radio frequency. Uh, you can't encrypt things. You can't uh, obfuscate them at all. Um, they have to be able to be understood by anybody on the on the frequency. Now, it's been a long time since I've been anywhere near a, a ham radio. Um, is Morse code any kind of wide use, or is it all verbal communication now? So Morse code, first off, yeah, that's uh, something else to touch on. It is no longer required for the exam. So there was a point in time where you had to know, uh, you had to be able to key, I think it was 40 words a minute or 60, something like that in order to pass your ham radio operator's examination. It is still an option available if it's something that you want to get. Uh, absolutely, the, your, uh, your examiner would still be able to do that for you, and uh, you'd be able to get that designation, but it is no longer a requirement to actually get your ham radio uh, license. However, it is still out there. It is still used quite frequently in, uh, in the HF bands for the most part, is where I've seen it. Uh, myself and uh, actually Dean, who was uh, supposed to be our guest this evening, uh, we actually ran a little Morse code test um, so he is out uh, in the Quebec area, and then me being in Southern Ontario area, we uh, we were trying to run uh, a little Morse code test running uh, little, what they're called is uh, pixie boxes. So they're small little, um, very low power, I think they run in one watt, uh, just little boxes that you can, we were cheating a bit, you can plug them in the computer, they do all the Morse code for you. Uh, so they do the, the sending of the signals and they do the uh, uh, the translation as well. But we were trying to make contact with each other and uh, we weren't able to actually successfully connect with each other we could see each other transmitting through what's called a uh, uh, a reverse beacon so they're just beacons or they're just stations that can report hearing different uh, stations operating so we were able to actually see each other transmitting we weren't able to hear each other ourselves but i was getting anywhere almost about 1500 uh, kilometers away from my house uh was the furthest uh, beacon that was picking me up so it's and that was on one watt of power. So you can get uh, you can get some pretty far distance. So yeah, uh, Morse code is still out there. It is still used. Uh, it is used for worldwide communication, uh, but it's um, and it can go quite distance. It's just not uh, said just not a requirement anymore to get your license. But it is something certainly worthwhile having if uh, if you can if you can learn it and, and get your head wrapped around what uh, what you so need to get it. In terms of not making secret communications but maybe making less obvious communications then morse code would be a, could be a huge asset well, absolutely yeah you're uh, you're able to use morse code on ham radio frequencies uh it's it's a publicly available code uh it's it's not something that would count as encryption or obfuscation or anything like that um, it's publicly available it's documented if I wanted to hop on a, a ham frequency and figure out what somebody's saying in Morse code, I can I can do it. So uh, that's no problem at all. And it could, yeah, it could actually be uh, quite beneficial if uh, if it's part of your communications plan that you want to use that to communicate with people. Not everybody knows it, right? So why security, not? Security through obscurity. You got it. So then can you touch on for people like me who don't really know, what's what's the difference between ham radio and CB? CB. So, 
Uh, CB would be something you, know, you, you throw it in your your, your transport truck. Uh, for the most part, they have them. Uh, your pickup truck, they're they're popular years ago. It, it's more short range, uh, like vehicle to vehicle type of communications, whereas uh, ham radio is a little bit more more distance, uh, some more power to them as well. CB is restricted to uh, to the output that they can transmit on and the frequencies they can transmit on. Same as ham radio. Ham radio is also restricted to, to certain power outputs depending on your qualification and the certificate that you have. Uh, but CB would be more close range type of communication, uh, whereas ham radio can be uh, worldwide communication depending on where you're transmitting and, and what frequencies you're on. Oh. But it'll both have their their place and preparedness for sure. Uh, no harm in having a CB radio sitting beside your ham radio in uh, in your vehicle. You can use and both, right? And there's no licensing for CB. Is that correct? Uh, no, not as far as I know. There's uh, no licensing required for CB versus ham. Yeah, I don't just don't think it's used as often anymore. It seems like uh, if people are going to do short range communications. They usually just have like a FRS or a GMRS, which is like the the Midland walkie talkies they sell in two packs that you know. Canadian Tire, whatever for you, I think people are using those more and more than actual CB radios. Oh, absolutely, they are. Yeah, um, I know CBs are still around and they're still used uh, here and there, but um, you don't see them nearly as often as you used to. It's another security by obscurity issue because it would end up. These are all different different power power draws and different frequencies, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, um, with the CB radio, you, you've got that big whip antenna as well, so it kind of stands out. Uh, versus, uh, you know, you can have a little UB5R radio with you. It's a small antenna. It's in your car and nobody notices it. Nobody sees it, uh, but it's not transmitting nearly as far, depending on where you are. If you're, if you're within uh, range of a repeater, then, yeah, you can absolutely transmit uh, for quite the distance. It's just a matter of kind of your, your setup, your layout, and where, you, where you're located. So when sure. you're when you're trying, trying to keep up files, then the, uh, the, CB, or the CB is not your best option to... Yeah, the ham would be a better choice. I would say so, depending again on on your operating location. If uh, if there's a lot of construction vehicles in your area, or a lot of uh, a lot of vehicles with with whip antennas on them for whatever reason, depending on where you are and, and you fit in in that in that environment, then yeah, sure, no problem with the with the CB. If you're uh, if you're in more of the um, you know the area like the city area or somewhere where you're not seeing a big antennas on on all the vehicles around, well, yeah, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb. So it's uh, it's all just kind of paying attention to your surroundings. Well, also generally, the higher the frequency, the shorter the antenna. So with UHF, which is really high, you know, very high frequency compared to uh, CB, I mean, the, the antennas can be as short as this. So to have one of those sticking on the top of your car, you know, if you see on um, certain police vehicles and everything else, like and even like ambulances and stuff, you'll see a short little antenna, that's their UHF. And um, so that's, that's a little less obtrusive than a big CB antenna for sure. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't stick I have one of those on top of my car. It's definitely not a police car. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, and then uh, also we, we touched on repeaters there briefly, didn't we? Uh, about what the, the purpose they provide is basically just extend your range of what nor would normally be a short range radio. But there's other uh, there's apps you were showing me uh, before about uh, using with with ham radio that you can use as well, right? Yeah. So um, with ham radio, there is um, what's called Echo Link, which is an application you can put on your cell phone. I've used it a few times here and there when I haven't had a ham radio with me. Uh, and I still want to hop on a repeater. Uh, you can just, uh, you need to be licensed. You need to have a call sign. Uh, they verify all that. So they have, you have to have another operator that you know that's already on the system verify that you are qualified and that this is your call sign. Uh, once you're authenticated and they're happy with the fact that you're licensed, then you gain access to the application and you can hop on repeaters worldwide that are uh, 
have the software installed and allow access through Echolink. And then you can broadcast on a repeater anywhere in the world just using your cell phone. Now it is using the internet, so uh, so some ham operators will call that cheating and uh, they don't necessarily like it. Some are, are pretty hardcore about, uh, no, you use the radio, only the radio, and that's it. Uh, but hey, if the technology is there, may as well use it. Um, it, it works quite well. And uh, there's, there's times where it's kind of you know, a little bit of a lag, a little bit of, um, of uh, delay on it. But for the most part, I, I haven't had any bad experiences and it's, uh, it's worked quite well. Um, there is another option as well, uh, which is the IRLP, I believe is the correct, uh, I always mess up the, the, the order of the lettering, but uh, it's, uh, it's an internet relay between repeaters uh, that doesn't use an app, it doesn't use your phone, you still have to use a radio itself um, that can transmit to the repeater in order to uh, connect to another repeater and then transmit. Uh, so I know uh, myself uh, and Ian, when you were over visiting there, we were able to find a repeater in your area and actually connect to it from here in Ontario. And I was able to broadcast uh, in BC on that uh, on that frequency. And that's just simply uh, creating a link between the repeater here and then uh, over the internet connects that other repeater and then uh, it transmits and then vice versa when you make that link. If anybody was transmitting on the repeater in BC at that time, then everybody here on this end would hear it. So it's not just me, it's on a private link. Uh, anybody on the repeater in this area would hear the conversation and same thing, anybody on the repeater in the other location would hear the entire conversation. But it's kind of neat that you can just link them up like that. Yeah, it's just a matter of knowing the code and, and uh, knowing how to punch it in and tell the repeater, okay, call BC and then uh, it links up. Well, that's interesting in the fact that if the cell phone lines are overwhelmed, which happens in a lot of local emergencies, the cell phone kind of gets clogged up and you can text maybe if you're lucky, but that might be a good alternative for sure for some people. I just Google it here. It is IRLP, uh, Internet Radio Linking Project. I always always screw up the uh, the order, like I said, but uh, yeah, it's IRLP. So uh, if you want to throw that in Google, you can check it out as well if anybody wants. There's lots of documentation on it. So how would how would those how would those links be affected by say a wider power outage? Yeah, uh, so great question. Uh, a lot of the repeaters have backup power. Um, not all of them, but uh, the ones that do, uh, because normally they're on the bigger towers um, that house all kinds of other things as well, um, such as communi uh, emergency communications uh, antennas, uh, your cell phone towers, like all all that kind of thing. So they will have some form of uh, backup. Uh, so. For the most part, everything will remain operational. It all depends on the type of backup system they have in place and how long it will stay operational. But for your short-term power outages, it'll uh, it'll still run as long as they've got the, the backup systems in place. Uh, but it all depends on your ham radio club in the area. So another thing to touch on, majority of the ham radio clubs uh, maintain uh, the repeaters. So uh, they're volunteer clubs. They're not paid for what they do. So uh, depending on the club in the area and, and what kind of maintenance they do on the repeaters really depends on, on what type of system they have for, for emergency backup. Okay. So just for our new listeners, we should probably just uh, break down roughly ham radio has a bunch of band allocations uh, across the, the spectrum of like, I guess, uh, signals. And uh, so we don't have free reign of every signal available. Like obviously they're taken up with, you know, police radios, uh, FM radios, aircraft radios and stuff. So we do have kind of three rough groupings, uh, I guess we can play with as ham radio operators uh, with something called HF, which is more used for long range, but the sound quality is not good. Um, and I guess you can get longer range at night. 
I have uh, used yep. HF in uh, professional purposes uh, for sure. Uh, there's also a UHF, which is kind of really short range, which is probably what you see with uh, you know a police officer or something that has a little microphone on his shoulder. That's usually more of a VHF or a UHF with a repeater. Uh, but there's also VHF, which can be line of sight or even like follow slightly follow the curvature of the Earth a little bit. Um, and so obviously, the higher up you are, the the better off you are for VHF. So with those three bands. Um, Eric, I was just going to ask you, as far as like a starting out prepper, would you recommend uh, going right to the HF uh, complicated long range stuff or just stick with the local stuff? I would personally stick with the local stuff. Um, I've only been licensed uh, about a year, a year and change now, actually, probably a year and a half. Um, I started out with uh, just two meter, which is uh, VHF. Pretty much everybody's on there anyways it's going to be local so if you're you're starting to get into your um, your ham radio club and uh, and you're starting to kind of interact with them you're going to find all those guys on on two meter on the repeaters um, so i would start there it's fairly simple to get into it's fairly simple to set up uh, i found it pretty easy to get my head wrapped around how it works and how to transmit on it uh, i've just recently started to get into to hf and it's a whole different ball game it's neat in uh, in my uh, radio geek kind of way but uh, it's um, it's a lot more to, to know it's a lot more to set up uh, you got to figure out all kinds of things as far as how your signal is going to propagate how it's going to uh, send out uh, whether right now is a good time to do it or maybe in an hour is a better time it uh, takes a lot of research to kind of get your head wrapped around uh, transmitting on hf um, transmitting on uh on the local repeaters or on uh, vhf is is usually pretty um pretty standard it's pretty much the same operating no matter what time of day it is um, the weather yeah it'll affect it a little bit but for the most part regardless what the weather's like as long as you're within range of that repeater you're able to, to talk on it um, so it's uh, i would i would say start out with uh, with vhf get to know your your two meter bands in the area get to know your repeaters and just get comfortable that the hardest part of ham radio is I wouldn't even say is the test. Like, yeah, you got to know your stuff. The hardest part is when you're licensed and your first time hitting that button to talk. Yeah. I don't know. Well, why, but it seemed like the upfront cost for the HF was pretty high too, versus uh, I'm, oh, sure yeah. could pro- I'm sure you could probably recommend a good radio to buy for, uh, for new preppers to the ham radio uh, game. I yeah. 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 The, the, <laughs> you wouldn't even carry one. <laughs> oh, look at that! Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the the HF stuff. You're you're looking at minimum thousand dollar investment just on your radio. That doesn't include antennas. Uh, if you're getting a good one, uh, which you know you get what you pay for, right? So, and that's that's still kind of the lower end of things. So it's uh, it's a lot of money to put up. So you know if you're if you're getting into it and uh, and you want to buy all the nice shiny things, I. I, I would wait a little bit until you get kind of used to like this at the two meter stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as getting started, if you want to pick up one of the Baofang radios, they're, they're great. Once you're licensed, you can, uh, you can hop on any of the repeaters in the area and, and transmit and talk on them. Uh, I carry one with me wherever I go. Uh, and I'm able to talk to people all over the place on them. And they, they say they can hear me fine. I'm good, uh, good reception quality, good power. Um, they have no issues uh, hearing me, which is good. And they're, they run about, depending on the model you're looking at, um, for instance, like rapid survival carries the eight watt model for 69.99 and the, the five watt model for 49 or 44.99, sorry, 44.95. So it's uh, it's pretty cheap to get into. Uh, you can get them too at uh, Dean's uh, website there, um, uh, prepperradios.ca. 
uh, he carries them as well. He's a wealth of knowledge as well. So if you have questions, you could uh, fire him uh, an email and ask, or you can fire me an email at, uh, at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and, and ask about what, uh, what model you should get or, or what, uh, what version of the bail fan you can get. Cause there's all kinds of different versions. There's all kinds of different options. Uh, you can get into the UV5R, which is the most popular. You can get into the, uh, the GT5TP, you can get into the GT3s. You can, there's, there's all kinds of different makes and models of, or, or models of, of Baofeng, and it's really under the hood. They're they're pretty similar. They've just got some external features that are a little bit different. So feel free to flip in uh, an email and ask if you've got questions. But uh, the Baofengs are definitely the good ones to start with because they're they're cheap and uh, well documented, and uh, they'll get you on the air and they'll get you talking and, and get you past that fear of okay, I got to hit the button and say something. What do I say? <laughs> well, for sure, I think the UV five R is uh, certainly the way to go, especially when it comes to like you said, learning how to use it. I mean, the amount of YouTube videos on how to program them, how to use them, how, you know, tips and tricks, it's insane. Um, so, it, you know, basically, really, to spend some time. It's an easy first uh, ham radio to use for sure. I mean, I'm, I've got a couple of homes that they're tinkering with. I can't really transmit on them yet, or something. But I've been using them as scanners, which is one of the other things they can do as a double duty. Um, they can pick up, you know, local emergency services, like you said, everything else. But you can just have them rotating through frequencies and just listing what's going on. It's uh, even that's kind of a nice little tool to have. Oh yeah, speaking of the the scanning, if uh, if anybody's been to my talk at the uh, the annual preppers meet, I think I've given the talk now three times on the ham radios and the the bale fangs in particular. I've got the one story about the the one morning where uh, we wake up, it's about what five five thirty in the morning, and power's out. I'm like oh that's that sucks, but uh, kind of looking down the road a little bit, I can see a puff of smoke and, and something's going on. I'm, I'm like oh, okay, that's that's strange. So it didn't look like anything overly emergent but the the power is out so okay so i just threw the the bail fang on and i'm listening to uh the the local fire department in the area getting dispatched to a transformer fire and it's in the area of uh, where i live I'm like oh okay it's a transformer fire perfect so uh, they get on scene and they're calling out okay here's what's happening fire's extinguished we're looking at uh you know a power recovery time of about an hour so i knew everything that was happening i knew why the power was out i knew roughly when to expect it to come back I knew there was really no real threat in the area uh, going on. The, uh, the transformer fire was looked after, but I had all that information. Whereas if I didn't have the radio and I wasn't monitoring the local fire station, I would have no idea what was going on or, or when the power was coming back on. So it's uh, useful to have. And uh, it just comes back to uh, the knowing your surroundings and knowing what's going on. No, for sure. Absolutely. It makes good sense. We should probably take it to the, uh, the extreme here and talk about like a long-term grid down kind of, preparedness usage uh, for the uh, local ham radios as well uh, assuming that there's no no power supply and, and no internet and everything else uh, you guys want to talk about like uh, even short-range contacts patrols or something yeah the um, the nice thing with ham radio is it's quick to set up so as long as you know how to do it and that's where licensing comes into play I know everybody always says oh you know when uh, when things hit the fan I'll just hop on the ham radio frequencies and just do my thing I don't need a license then yeah, yeah, valid point. But at the same time, you need to know what you're doing. Uh, you need to know how it works. And then if you understand how it works, what you're doing, and you want to set up your own antenna, or you want to set up your own repeater, because the one in your area has gone down, you have the knowledge and the skills and the ability to do it. And if you've got the knowledge, abilities and skills, it's really not overly complicated to do. Uh, it takes some work. Yeah, of course it does. But if you know how to do it, you can set one up fairly quickly. Well, I mean, like anything else, you want to test your gear, right? Yeah, that too. And it gets you over the fear of the uh, pushing the button and talking for the first time in a controlled environment. 
yeah, if you don't know how to, if your gear works well or not, and you don't know whether you need to upgrade or change out equipment or anything else, uh, rather than the very last minute when you can't order anything online anymore. <laughs> exactly. And you can't get your YouTube video either to tell you how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, as far as like, uh, just, uh, you know, keeping an eye on, uh, burglars, looters, whatever you want to call them. Uh, if you were out on, you know, patrolling around your property, if you have a big acreage or anything else, it's certainly good for the uh, the short range aspect of keeping in contact with the home home base, whatever when you want to call it. I think there's certainly a usefulness for uh, for any sort of CB, VHF radio for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, another uh, ham radio story for you. I was just on the, the repeater for, I just turn it off when I'm here working and if one of the guys hops on, I'll, I'll chat through it with them or just listen to what's going on and so i'm monitoring the local repeater here one day and and a guy hops on the uh the air and i, I didn't quite recognize the call sign so i got chat with him i said sorry I, I missed the call sign there what was it and he repeats it and that's not a it's not a canadian call sign it's not an american call sign so where where are you located so he comes back and says philippines said, oh okay um why are you on this repeater and so he said i actually live in the area He's in the Philippines for like six months or something. So he uh, he applies in the Philippines to have a, a transition of his license to that area. And he's just hopping on the repeater in this area to check back because he's a, a member of the local uh, club here to check back with everybody, to let everybody know that he's okay and all is good. So a ham radio was his form of communication to, to confirm that everything's fine where he is and, and everything's okay and, and he's good. And he's just hopping in to say hello. So kind of neat and uh, the fact that he's able to do that and that was over um, a satellite link system and, uh, so it's kind of kind of neat I, I remember my grandpa's my grandpa's study many years ago down in the basement he had a, i want to say a six foot antenna and i don't know enough about the details but um he had a, a map of the world on the wall and a little pin in all the places that he contacted and it was it was worldwide uh he uh -huh. used him uh he used him to uh to communicate with his um his former colleagues uh in new zealand he uh, he he was uh, he was associated with a, a, a New Zealand squadron of pilots during the Second World War, and that was his that was their means of communicating after the uh, after the war was over. They were able to still they were able to still keep in contact all across the world. It was amazing. That's cool. Hmm. Well, interesting. One thing about the one little warning about the UV five Rs is because they're made overseas and they're not. They don't intentionally limit what frequencies you can access. Um, you can actually dial in everything from marine frequencies to um, the same frequencies they would use on the like the the Canadian Tire walkie-talkies, like they're called uh, FRS or GMRS radios. And so I have to be very careful with uh, power usage because some of the power uh, output that you have on the radios can actually exceed what you're legally allowed to use. So uh, make sure before you start pressing the, the transmit button, uh, pick your frequencies carefully and pick your power output carefully. Um, it's another good reason to be licensed because the licensing covers all that says so don't get yourself into trouble because you know if, if there is some guy that's going to be in his bonnet he will figure out how to track you down and before you know you get fined and it's never good so well absolutely so yeah before you grab a, a bail fang get your license figure it all out and then uh, start playing and, and you're doing it legally yeah, for sure. Uh, another purpose I was going to say that you could possibly uh, think about using it for in a, in a backpack purposes if you are approaching, you know, a fellow prepper's house or whatever, and things are not going well uh, in society, you might want to consider uh, coming up with a common hailing frequency, uh, just like they have like, you know, channel 19 on CB, that's where people make initial contact and move on. And if you have a, a marine emergency, you go to channel 16 and so on and so on. Um, I was thinking if uh, we could all kind of agree to figure out maybe use channel 7 on the GMRS or FRS frequencies. 
if you have a bell thing, you can tune in a frequency 462.7125 megahertz. You're limited to one watt in normal times uh, on that frequency, but uh, which you can figure out by low power setting on the UV5R, I believe. And then, uh, yeah, this is something if you ever want to make sure you have a common healing frequency, it's something we should all agree on for sure. Maybe you get some feedback on that or something. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's half what on FRS, if I remember correctly. So you're, you're already over by 0.5. But. Oh, geez, I'm already in trouble. <laughs> and technically, the bail fangs aren't supposed to be on FRS to begin with. So uh, just, <laughs> yeah, there just, you go. just to put it out there so everybody's aware, please don't be uh, hopping on a bail fang radio on FRS and, uh, and chatting away. Um, chances of it causing any kind of issues, probably slim to none. But at the same time, just... Yeah, don't do it. <laughs> well, there you go. So, lesson yeah. learned even for me. I haven't got my license yet. So yeah. I guess uh, buy the Midland radios first off and then practice move your way up from there. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, get... so grab the grab the main uh, the main radios there from, from Canadian Tire or wherever. And then once uh, once you get your ham license, grab a bale fang and hop on the ham uh, the ham frequencies and, and the world's all happy. Cool. And there's there no fines. <laughs> Anything else you want to cover off, guys? I, uh, I guess... I, I'm gonna keep studying. This is uh, it's it's something that goes goes deep to my roots, and uh, keep studying. I'm gonna see if I can uh, see if I can get my license before the uh, before the next podcast, before the next time uh, we talk about it again. Awesome, I like. Well, because I think we'll we'll have to revisit this this ham radio again because, of course, it's still just scratching the surface. I mean, oh yeah, uh, there's so much more stuff you can cover on this. I think uh, have to wait for some listener questions and maybe uh, come up with some more stuff to talk about as well, just like on a, on a basic level. And I uh, also took the window to my podcast uh, challenge here, but we'll go with it anyways, I guess. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, the other thing I would add is go out and contact your local ham uh, radio club. They're always friendly. They're always looking for new operators. Uh, they're always excited to have new operators. When I first started transmitting on the air, um, right away, everybody was all over me. Who are you? Where are you from? How long have you been licensed? Uh, where'd you get your license? They were all kind of excited. Um, that I was there. And then when I told them I'm, I'm just new to licensing, they're all over that. What do you need? What do you want to know? Do you need help setting up your antennas? Uh, it, it was awesome. So make sure to contact your local club, uh, say hello, and uh, they're more than willing to help you out. Uh, they're not, uh, none of them that I've come across yet are, are intimidating or, or scary group at all. They're, they're happy to have new licensed hams uh, because it means that uh, the, the, everything continues on and, uh, and things carry on and it doesn't just stop right so they're always excited to have new operators make sure to contact them and just say hello well i think if if the frequency bands aren't being used they'll eventually get allocated somewhere else too for another purpose so you probably want to make sure they stay uh, in use for sure that too yeah so i guess a podcast challenge uh, i'll have to mod- uh, modify it somewhat here um my original podcast challenge was to figure out what type of radio would best suit your needs and, and buy a pair but i think we'll just move it on to maybe just uh, buy a pair of midland uh, frs radios which it's just the family radio service radios. I'm thinking about just buy a pair of those to do some basic local communications, practice transmitting, talking on the radio. And then uh, at the very least, you can keep in touch with uh, maybe home from uh, your quad if you're out in the acreage. Yeah, and there's all kinds of different um, commercial-based FRS radios you can purchase. Um, find one that works for you. Find one that's got... Um like the settings that you need or, or the type of like waterproofing if you need it. There's ones that have waterproofing, there's ones that don't. Uh, find one that works for your needs and then play with it and figure it out and let us know if you did or, and what worked and what didn't. I think my, my little FRS radios, I think they're Cobras. They're a few years old. Um, my biggest challenge with them is that they have to they have to charge in the dock condition. 
so I can't change batteries. That's a that's a major drawback if um, if the power's out. Yeah, absolutely. One of the first considerations I, as I was I'm, I'm looking at them on the on the table across the room here, and um, they're sitting in their charging station, which is great. Uh, only has as long as there's still power to to charge them again. So. Yeah, I've got a, a set of Motorola's that I got from uh, Canadian Tire years ago. Um, they've got the rechargeable battery pack in them, but they also have the option to run on double A's. So that helps out huge. That makes good sense. Yeah. It chews through the double A's pretty quick, but at least I'm able to transmit. So anyway, we'll get into some shout outs. So I've got one here for the uh, Simcoe Preparedness and Resiliency Community, or Spark. Uh, we've got uh, another meeting uh, coming up on, uh, on Sunday there. So just a shout out to them. Uh, I know there's a bunch of them uh, in the, the Facebook group there that listen to the podcast. So just a quick shout out, say hello, and thanks for listening. Good having uh, my shout out is to my 11 year old daughter. Um, last week, she suggested that we add a first aid kit and a fire extinguisher to the second floor of the house. Uh, we have proper me- proper safety measures on the ground floor. Uh, she said, "You know, it would make good sense that we have uh, that we have a sp- that we have our resources spread throughout the house, which I thought was uh, it was fantastic planning and uh, and a great theory and, and good uh, good headspace for uh, um, for someone young. So I was I was happy to comply with that and. Um, and now, uh, we are now as a, as a household, we are better prepared. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. We want to encourage that good behavior. That's for sure. Yep. <laughs> so, um, for me, just a quick shout out to uh, new listener, Chris, who's listening to his first YouTube live tonight. And just uh, as a reminder to him, every goal requires a first step. Awesome. And we got, uh, any listener email there, Ian? Well, I've got one YouTube comment uh, on the water episode uh, from Transport Canada Guru 3, and he says the Sawyer Mini filter for the win. Used them for years. He cut out the bottom portion of a small plastic bottle, and he uses that as an alternate scoop to, uh, like, I guess, cup to scoop the water from shallow streams into the Sawyer bag. The bag can be troublesome sometimes, he mentions, and uh, with the shallow streams, so the little cup helps with getting water into it. Super light and very useful addition to the kit. Then uh, the traveling prepper turned around and texted me to remind me to not get cocky about the Sawyer water filter and the fact that I shouldn't be making fun of Eric's uh, stash at his company. He says that the (laughs) Sawyer Mini is almost on the way out. uh, Now they have actually the Sawyer Micro coming out as a standalone product. So he says, I'll keep up with the latest and greatest. Fair enough. You can make fun of me, though, if you want. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay. We did anyways. Uh, As far as iTunes reviews go, we are at nine total so we've got eight five stars we've still got that one off four star but like i say i'll take it uh and our uh our last review on itunes still belongs to the sasquatch research scientist so starting to wonder if maybe he's uh playing with the system a little bit here and uh stopping everybody else from commenting but uh, <laughs> that's where we're at for uh itunes reviews so uh if you could listen in and you uh you like the show if you could do us a favor and just Put a quick review in um, right up uh, if you like the show. If you don't like the show, uh, encourage any type of review. Uh, let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. And uh, just throw a review in there for us. It, uh, it helps get the uh, the show put out there, uh, makes sure that people realize that other people are listening to it, and then uh, hopefully it draws other people in to listen. So a uh, quick review would be greatly appreciated. You let me back on. That was your first mistake. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe the next episode we'll cut you. Nice choice. Now we'll keep you around. All right. So, uh, with that, I'll uh, I'll bring episode ten of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. So, first off, uh, Alan, thanks again for for coming out and being a panelist. Much appreciated. 
And uh, hopefully you'll come back for future episodes, even though I just threatened to cut you. Yeah. Uh, and not physically cut you, they cut you from <laughs> So, uh, where can people find the show? <laughs> you can find Ian and Eric, possibly not me, on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Uh, as Eric alluded to earlier, please take a few minutes out, submit a review, let us know how, let us know what we're doing, let them know what they're doing because apparently I'm cut now. Uh, you can also find the you can also find more podcast.say. YouTube Live is now available. Subscribe on the YouTube channel. Look for the Island Retreat. Click the notification tab. It gives us alerts when we're going live. All right. If you want to contact Ian directly, you can reach me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. I'd love to answer questions specific to our rust and moss-laden climate out here on the West Coast. I'm also looking forward to helping aspiring preppers take their first steps. You can also occasionally find me giving my two cents worth on the Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. There you will find me ranting and raving on the merits of a freer society, bemoaning government waste, and the occasional tactically driven conversation. But when debit's done, that's really not worth anything with the ranting, is it? <laughs> uh, I'll put a quick plug in here for Dean. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it to the show this evening, uh, but you can still get a hold of him at uh, the International Preppers Network and the Canadian Prepper blog. Uh, so, uh, International Preppers Network and Google it. I'll put a link to it as well in the show notes. And uh, you can get him at uh, prepperradios.ca as well. He's got all kinds of uh, radio gear. So make sure to head over there and give him some business. Uh, and you can check me out at uh, rapidsurvival.com. I can get me on the live chat there while you're buying some prepper gear. Uh, you can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, send in some questions, uh, comments, feedback, whether it's uh, positive or negative. We keep saying doesn't matter. We like to know what we're doing right. We like to know what we're doing wrong. Uh, and we've got no problem with uh, differing opinions on view. Uh, send in your stuff. Let us know. If you want to be on the show as well, let me know. Uh, again, it's feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Just don't, get, just don't disagree. You'll get cut. <laughs> now nah, you're coming back. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, your, your hate mail feed your hate mail feeds us. Don't worry. <laughs> so thanks for joining us, and uh, tune in for next episode where we're going to talk about maintaining operation security, also known as the Gray Man Theory. Uh, until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. learning.